This is the last of the summer series on like uh, elements of our worship. So we started off, I had to write it down, we started off with praise and thanksgiving or, or gathering, gathering communion we started with. Uh, and then we talked about praise and thanksgiving. Uh, and then last week we talked about creeds and confession. And this week we come to the last part and it's my favourite bit of church. We're coming to the Bible. So let's start by opening our Bible to today's reading which if you've looked in your notice sheet, you will know is Genesis 1 verse 1 to Revelation 22, 21, which you can find on pages 3 to 1183 of the Church Bibles. <laughs> um, no. Let's start at the beginning. 3.8 billion years ago, in the beginning... God created the heavens and the earth. So let's sing our first song. Father and mother of us all. He 
gave them a choice. Follow the temptation of darkness or hold on to the blessing of light. since Adam's sin has walked within us. Brother against brother. Nation against nation. Man against creation. We murdered each other. We broke the world. We did this. Man did this. Everything that was beautiful. Everything that was good. We shattered. Now, it begins again. Unfortunately, the sound chopped off the first few words of that. <laughs> it's all right. It begins with Russell Crowe in his very deep voice saying, let me tell you a story. And that's what this morning is all about. That's what the Bible is all about. It's all about stories. And I suppose what we're thinking about this morning is why do we tell stories and why do we tell this story? So we're 11 chapters in now. Book of Genesis, first book of the Bible. Let's pop that in our bookshelf. Right, we've got 65 more to go. (laughs) And we haven't actually finished that one yet. (laughs) So what we just saw, God created the world to be perfect and good. And I think one of the things which I really like about that clip is it makes really clear that it was a human choice that broke the world. And I think we also can see in that it's a human choice which we have all made. I feel like sometimes we say, this is a thing Adam and Eve did. But this is something we all do. And so the Lord banishes them from paradise. But it wasn't over, because God had a plan. A plan to save the world, and a plan to save the world, amazingly, in cooperation with his creation. And so he picks a family. I wonder, we're not having a formal Bible reading today. Does anyone want to read the words in red to us? Anyone? Volunteers? Yeah, perfect. There's going to be a lot of these, so you're going to need to... (laughs) Just bits in red, thanks. The Lord had said to Abraham, I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. Fabulous. So God picked Abraham and his family and said, I will make you into a great nation, I will bless you. And a little bit later on it says, and you will be a blessing. It was through Abraham and his family that God was going to save the world. So... A few generations later, Abraham's family gets to Joseph, who I'm sure we've all heard of. And Joseph goes to live in Egypt. Can someone read the words in red for me? Hands up quickly. (laughs) There you go. Um, After burying his father, Joseph returned to Egypt. Um, I think they're talking about the country in the Middle East there. Mm -hmm. 
um, together with his brothers and all the others. That's fabulous. Thank you. So they go to Egypt. And in Egypt, they become this small family of maybe 20, 30 people, becomes a great nation of many thousands. And then... And then... They become a great nation, and Moses is raised up as the leader of this country. And I'm just going to start picking people. Can you read the next bit? (laughs) During the night, Pharaoh summoned Moses and Aaron and said, Go worship the Lord as you have requested. Excellent. So the people are given their freedom. Oh, and we're now, you'll notice, in book, making progress. So they get, God frees them. They become a great nation, but they become a great nation as slaves, and God frees them. And then Moses leads them out into the desert, and God speaks to them, and he gives them something which would become very precious to them. Someone else? Yep, Beth, thanks. I'm going to do it together here. Cool. And God spoke all these words. I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. That's wonderful. Thank you. And we get the next three books of our Bible. We get the law. And between them, the first five books become the law of the Jews, the story of the origins and of the covenant that God made with his people. And this was the agreement. You shall have no other gods before me. I will be your God, you will be my people, and through you I will save the world. So this was his plan. He's developing this plan. Next, God gave them somewhere to live. Someone else? Yep. Yep. The Lord said to Joshua, get ready to cross the Jordan River into the land I'm about to give to them. Brilliant. So God gives them somewhere to live. He gives them the land of Israel. And we get our next few books. We get Joshua, who was given the land to live in and who conquered the land, Moses' successor. And then there are a couple of books, uh, Ruth and Judges, which kind of tell of the early days of living in that land. If you follow along in the contents page, you'll be able to see what's coming next. (laughs) After a while... The Israelites had been led by these kind of ad hoc leaders, but they'd been basically a theocracy up to now. They'd been led directly by God and through his prophets and through the judges who were those those early leaders who were kind of raised up just on a case-by-case basis. But then they got fed up and they said, give us a king to lead us. And the Lord answered, listen to them and give them a king. But this was a direct rejection of God. Already, the people were starting to drift away maybe from the plan and the purpose they've been called to. And so there are a whole bunch of kings, which can only really mean one thing. It could only have meant that. So there's a whole bunch of kings, and some of them are really good, and some of them are really bad. And the question is, which is which? So... David and Solomon. You had uh, Saul was the first king. He didn't go so well, and then he had David and Solomon. What do you reckon, good or bad? Let's have a look. Oh, it was good. Excellent. Very good. Next kings. 
Rehoboam and Abijah. What do you reckon? Bad. Bad? Yeah, it was bad. You can probably turn the volume down on that a little bit. All right. Uh, oh, Asa and Jehoshaphat. Let's say only children answer this one. What do you reckon, kids? What do you reckon, good or bad? Neutral. <laughs> Come on, pick a side, guys. Thumbs up or thumbs down? Thumbs up. You're right. Well done. Okay. Only not children for the next three. Jehoram, Ahaziah, and Athaliah. What do you reckon? Bad. Bad? Oh, yeah, you're right. Okay. Only people who have never been to theological college. What do you reckon? <laughs> good? Yay, very good. Right, only vicars and trainee vicars. What do you reckon? <laughs> what do you reckon? Jotham. Bad? What do you reckon? Oh, no, he was good. Wrong, Beth. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, okay, Ahaz, uh, only the boys. Ahaz? Bad. Yeah, it was bad. And, oh, yes. So this is all happening. After David and Solomon, the kingdom got divided in two. And we've been in the southern kingdom. The northern kingdom, only bad. Very easy to play kings of Israel, which is the northern kingdom, because it's all terrible. And so after 200 years of that, they get taken into exile. God destroys the kingdom because they'd wandered so far from the promise that uh, God just allowed another nation to wipe them out. Meanwhile, in the southern kingdom, Hezekiah and Manasseh. Have we done the only the boys yet? We have. Only the girls then. Oh, bit of controversy here. Right, show of hands who thinks it's bad. Who thinks they're good? <laughs> ah. Manasseh's a tricky one because in, uh, in the book of uh, Kings, there's one, he's described as being only bad, but then the book of Chronicles, it says he was all right in the end. So, I don't know. Uh, Amon. Right, everyone this time, what do you reckon about Amon? It was bad, I'm afraid. He was bad. And what about Josiah? Good. Good? Yay! Um, and oh, last four kings. All bad, yes, I'm afraid. So we've ne- we've raced forward now we've got we've done samuel that's saul and david the early kings and we've done kings and chronicles which tell the same story spoiler alert the kings one's better if you're only going to read one read kings uh, <laughs> and we also i don't know if you noticed that we got a whole bunch more of the old testament written during the days of oh, ah during the days of David and Solomon, they started writing the poetry. That would conti- they would continue to write their books of poetry. The Psalms, the Proverbs, the book of Job and Ecclesiastes, which are about what happens when life is tough. And the Song of Solomon, which is a love song. Kind of an odd one. So they've written those. And we've also had most of the prophets. Ooh. So we've had 
Isaiah, Jeremiah, who also wrote Lamentations, Ezekiel, Daniel, Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, Nahum, and Habakkuk have now all happened. And every single one of them, their job was when there were bad kings and when people weren't doing, it was to call them back, the people, to the true worship of God. We've got all of those as well. I'm going to need to get someone to come and order those in a minute. After these four bad kings at the end, kind of getting progressively worse, God, just as he had done with the northern kingdom, called time on the southern kingdom. And the people were sent away. And there is a reading for this. Ah, there we are. Yes, Zedekiah was the last of the kings, and it says, so Judah went away into captivity, and she was taken away from the land that God had given her. God's people found themselves far away from the land that he had given them to be their home, which was supposed to be a land of safety and blessing, with its glorious capital city of Jerusalem, or Zion, the city of King David. And their experience of kings had not been a happy one much of the time. But sadly, as the prophets pointed out, they only had themselves to blame. For God's people had forgotten or ignored the advice that God had given to them about how to live well in relationship with him and with one another. In some ways, they were just like Adam and Eve in the garden at the very beginning of God's story. They made bad choices. And far away from home in another land, in a foreign city under the rulership of a foreign king, God's people had plenty of time in exile to reflect on their failure to be faithful to God as the king of their lives. And perhaps they remembered once again God's gift to Moses in the desert that gift of the Ten Commandments, practical guidelines for living in peace and harmony with God and with each other. The people lamented all that had been lost and broken in their relationship with God and one another. And we're going to try and imagine what it might have been like for God's people as they sat in sadness far from home beside the waters of Babylon. And to do this, first of all, we're going to use the words on the screen in a moment, which are based on the Ten Commandments, which come from the book of Exodus and the book of Deuteronomy. And the words remind us how we too can find ourselves distanced from God and from one another by the choices that we make, by what we think and we say and we do. And when we've looked at that, at those words on the screen, then we're going to sing together a verse from one of the Psalms, Psalm 137, in the form of a simple round. It was written in the 1700s, and you might recognize it if you were a contemporary of Don McLean in the 1970s, by the waters of Babylon. So let's look again at those words that were given to Moses and to God's people. And let's use them to remember what it must have been like for God's people far away from God in a foreign land and how we too can find ourselves in that sort of place. God said, you shall have no other gods before me. Father, we are sorry that we have made ourselves and other things more important than you. 
you shall not make for yourself an image. Father, we are sorry that we have tried to reduce you to a God we can control or manipulate. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God. Father, we are sorry that we have not cherished and protected your name as we should. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Father, we are sorry that we have been obsessed with busyness and have not sought rest in you. Honour your father and mother. Father, we are sorry that we have not always treasured the wisdom and experience of our families. You shall not murder. Father, we are sorry that we have been angry and sometimes wished harm to others. You shall not commit adultery. Father, we are sorry that we have been always been faithful in our relationships. You shall not steal. Father, we are sorry that we have taken things that do not belong to us and fail to share with others what you have given for all. You shall not give false testimony against your neighbour. Father, we are sorry that we have too easily accepted half-truths and failed to challenge hurtful gossip. You shall not covet. Father, we are sorry that we have not always been content with the life you have given us. Psalm 137 tells us that by the rivers of Babylon, God's people sat and wept when they remembered Zion. And that's the basis of the round that we're going to sing together now. By the waters of Babylon, we lay down and wept. We remember thee, O Zion. The Psalms also tell us that the Lord is near to all who call on him, to all who call on him in truth. He fulfills the desire of all who fear him. He hears their cry and saves them. And the Lord builds up Jerusalem. He gathers the exiles of Israel. He heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. God promises to bring his people back from exile, from that faraway land, and to restore the relationship with him. For God's ultimate plan is to prosper rather than to harm his people, to give them a hope and a future. And so, Father God, thank you that you restore us into a new relationship with you and with one another. And like the people of Israel, we recommit ourselves to being a worshipping community, living in your love and seeking your will.
a missionary community where God is proclaimed as Saviour and Lord, an inclusive community where all are welcome and the peace of God is shared, a sacrificial community where the servant way is honoured and self is left behind, a prophetic community witnessing to God's kingdom and seeking the Spirit's work in the world. Amen. So yeah, and as we can see there, the prophet Jeremiah, who we've already heard of, said even before the exile happened, I will gather you from all the nations and places where I've banished you and will bring you back. And then in the book of Ezra and Nehemiah, Ezra and Nehemiah, the king of Persia, where they were in exile, allows them to return to the place from which they've been taken, their land, and rebuild their temple. Um, we also throw in the book of Esther there, which happens kind of while they're in exile. Um, could I get a small person to come and help sort my library? Yeah, come on. You can, why don't you and Rachel come here? Both of them. Cool, thanks. Great, so can you just sort that into numerical order for me? See, it's got the numbers. It says 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8. If you go and have a look, you should be able to put it in the right order. Cool. So that's what happens. And we also have another couple of prophets down here as well. We've got uh, girls. There's just another couple, just that top row there. Those three there also need to come out, the green ones. Perfect. Yeah, so those were the prophets of the early days of the Restoration. And then after that, there is 500 years where there is no prophecy and the books of the Bible just kind of stop for 500 years. Until one day, an angel said to them, today in the town of David, a saviour has been born to you.
Jesus called out with a a loud voice, Father, into my hands I commit my spirit. And then on the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the woman went to the tomb. And they met some men who said to them, Why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He is risen. Anyone remember what the first three words in John's Gospel are? <laughs> Liz knows. Mike knows. Yeah? In the beginning. In the beginning. I always said that if uh, I could reorder the canon of Scripture, I'd put John at the beginning of the New Testament, because then both Testaments would begin with in the beginning. Because what we have here is the beginning of the end of the plan. And kind of the central act of the plan, the kind of the important bit of the plan. I like in Hark the Herald where it says, um, uh, in that last verse, it's got the kind of the three lines which all begin born. And one of them is, uh, Jesus was born to give a second birth. And that applies just as much to us and our baptism as a second symbolic birth as it does to the whole of creation. Because in Jesus we have the second creation, the recreation of the universe. And we have the second Adam, the first man in a new order of humanity. Instead of a humanity defined by its sinfulness, a humanity which is defined by its ability to come to God. We said at the beginning that uh, stories were important, and this is about stories. And so, going to do some more audience interaction, so wake up. We've only covered the first and the last story in the Gospels. But you, you know the Gospels are the collections of many stories that people told about Jesus. And in fact, John's Gospel tells us Jesus did many other things. And if every one of them were written down, I suppose the whole world would not have room for the books that would be written about. I love that. Who can remember a story about Jesus? Let's write our own gospel right now. Who can remember a story about Jesus? Sorry? He fed the 5,000. That's very good. Anyone else? Walked on water. Water into wine, I heard, yeah? He does love the world, yes, and he showed that many times. Anyone else? A lot of miracles so far, yeah? He spoke to Nicodemus. He did indeed. And he transformed the thinking of many religious experts at the time. Is that hand at the back, Jasmine? He was born in Bethlehem. Very good. Anyway, yeah, Beth. He spoke of the coming kingdom. He spoke of the coming kingdom. He talked many, many times and told many of his own stories. Anyone remember any stories Jesus told? Yes. The shepherd and the sheep. Yes. Uh, the lost sheep, particularly, we remember. Yeah, very good. Yeah? Uh, yes, he called disciples, uh, followers who he taught very specifically. Twelve, well, he, there were concentric groups. You know, he had 70, and then within that there were 12, and within that there were three. And you can even argue within that there was one. And he taught them very specifically, and he called them, and he said, I will make you fishers of men. Yes? Yes, make sure your foundation is firm. Build on solid teaching, yes. The prodigal son, yes, one of the 
uh, best, most developed parables, I think, you know, kind of certainly in terms of its characterization. Fantastic. We're going to call it a day there? <laughs> and of course, what we just saw in the end in that last song, he died. And then three days later, he rose to earth. He rose again, having changed the fundamental nature of creation. Cool. Could I get my librarians out again? Right. So I need you to pick out the uh, the first uh, four, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John from there and pop them on the shelf. Those are our Gospels. And at the end of the Gospels, Jesus... Goes back to heaven. I, don't, I can't remember what the next slide is. Yes. He goes back to heaven. And then we have the book of Acts, which is about the early days of the church, the early days of the movement which Jesus created and which he gave to his disciples. He, uh, it's like he lit a torch and he handed it on to his disciples and said, right, you've got to go away and save the world now. I've done the heavy lifting and the rest is up to you. But you will not be alone. For when the day of Pentecost came, all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit. And so we get the book of Acts, girls. <laughs> and don't sit down, because because Acts tells of those early days of the church, and it tells the stories of Peter and Paul as they founded what became the global church. And it also tells of... As they were founding this church, they kept on running into problems. And so they wrote a whole bunch of letters, the purple books, all except for Revelation there, everything except for the one against the, um, the pillar. And so he, Paul and others wrote books to the early church, helping them to um, see how this new thing was happening and what it meant to live as this new type of person. Because God had called a new nation, just as Jesus was the second Adam, and he gave us in his teachings a second law, God then picked a second nation. A nation not of racial or national boundaries, but a nation which he called the church, an tran- uh, international nation. So we're almost then at the end of the story, when the girls have finished... 65 books will be on our bookshelf. And so we're almost at the end of the story. But I said at the beginning, why do we tell stories? And the answer is something we've been thinking about in Young Church a lot recently. In the whole of the last year, we've been thinking about kind of this question. Because in the Bible, we read the story of St. Stephen. who was the first, um, oh, and the light purple ones as well, who was the first, what we call martyr, the first person to be killed because he believed in the word of Jesus. And for 300 years, that was the reality of believing in Christ. That it was illegal to be a Christian. And yet the movement spread. And so in Young Church, we learned about these guys, St. Polycarp, St. Blandina, St. Alban, the first British um, martyr, whose name you may recognise. And for 300 years, that was a reality until... Oh, no, missed one. Oh, yes, there we are. The Emperor Constantine 
saw a vision in a sky, in the sky, of that sign at the top. Not the sign in the painting, irritatingly. The sign at the top, Cairo, Christ's initials. And he heard a voice saying, in this sign conquer. And he went and he conquered Rome, became the emperor of Rome, and made Christianity the official religion of the Roman Empire and ended the persecution of the Christians. Oh, you're right. He's all right. <laughs> and he, he started the first of the, what we call the ecumenical councils. The men and women who, well, men, who, sorry, but it was men, um, representatives from all over the world who got together to thrash out what it meant to be a Christian. And we use, still use some of their conclusions today. It's a Nicene Creed. And we say that many, many times in church. So that was, uh, there was a few hundred years of kind of working out what we believed. Then there was about a thousand years of theology and founding monasteries and expansion into Europe. And we learned about that. Augustine, Benedict, Francis, the um, All Creatures of Our God and King is based on a poem by St. Francis. Um, St. Catherine, remarkable nun who um, brokered peace across Europe and was given audiences with kings just because of her spirituality. And then we got to the middle of the last millennium. We met Martin Luther, who took a stand against the corruption in the church and said it was not okay for the church to stand in between man and God and ask payment for access. And so Protestants started. And we are all, or most of us probably are Protestants here. And we also learned about William Tyndale, very important for our story today. He received a Bible which looked like that and changed it into a Bible which looked like that. Then we learned about Cranmer and Calvin and uh, Bunyan and nonconformist preachers and John Wesley who gave us the constituent denominations of this church. We learned about 18th and 19th century reformers, people who looked at their faith and they looked at the world around them and could not work out the relationship between the two and fought to bring them into line and stop uh, children working in factories 18 hours a day and down mines, worked to end slavery in America, founded orphanages, went into prisons. And then we talked about the missionaries who took, as indeed Christianity had always done, who took the word of God into places where it had never existed before, who rewrote it in new languages, and who brought Japan, China, India, just up there, and founded churches and preached the good news. And then we talked about some of the organisations which continue that work today. And you might notice in the, uh, in the bottom corner there an organisation which is dear to many of us. Because the reason we tell this story, like I say, Jesus said, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me, therefore go and make disciples of all nations. And he passed on the torch to his disciples. And then those disciples took that torch and they passed it on to someone else. 
And they passed it on to someone else, and someone else, and someone else, and someone else. And it's passed down through history from AD 30 to the present day. And it's been passed down to the oldest person in this church. I don't know who the oldest person here is. Uh, I'm not going to ask. <laughs> but it got passed down to them, and now they are in a position to pass it down to the youngest person in the church. The torch is being handed on and on. Why do we tell this story? We tell it because it is our story. I always like to say, in between Jude and the last book in the Bible, Revelation, there is an ellipsis, a dot, dot, dot. And we are the people of that ellipsis. We live in that ellipsis time. The time between the beginning of the church, the church age which we are part of, and the time when God will come back. We tell this story because it's our story. And so let us take our place in that story as Nigel comes and we pray. So we'll come and pray together as we've been reminded of our place in God's story. Uh, And after each short section, uh, when I've said, Lord, in your mercy, we'll reply together, hear our prayer. And we'll also just use one or two hand symbols if you'd like to join in to help us with our prayers. So first of all, as we pray, we're going to pray for our world and we could just make our hands into the shape of a globe and we're going to remember our world and our creation that we saw so vividly on the screen at the beginning. Our loving Father, we thank you for the world that you created. We thank you for mountains and hills, sea and rivers, trees and flowers, animals and birds. Many things perhaps that we'll have seen if we've been fortunate enough to go on holiday and appreciate And loving Father, we pray that you'll help us to use the natural resources you provided wisely. And we pray for politicians and business leaders as they make decisions affecting our world at a time when our climate is getting warmer and causing more and more problems, especially for poorer people. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. As we continue to think about what's going on in the world, we'll all have seen in the news reports, what's happening particularly with the various people travelling long distances, the migrants' issues that we've been learning about. We could perhaps open one hand and have a couple of fingers walking on the other hand just to be a picture of those migrants walking. Our loving Father, you've reminded us in the Bible story of the journey of your people of Israel as they move from exile, seeking a new land. And this morning together, we pray for those who are making dangerous journeys today. Those who are fleeing war and persecution. Those who've seen the death of members of their families and are desperate to find a new safe life. And we particularly remember children making those journeys. Father, we pray for their safety as they travel by sea or by road, because all those individuals are precious to you. We pray for Christians and others in refugee camps and reception centres, sharing the love of Christ with those exhausted arrivals. 
We pray for all those involved in those journeys, for those working in navies, for the police and border guards who have to meet them, and for politicians who have to make decisions about their future. We pray for the communities who are receiving migrants across Europe, asking that they might have a spirit of generosity. And we ask that you show us all how to view and how to love the strangers who come into our own lives. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. And next, we'll pray for our own community here in Campbell and surrounding villages, perhaps with our fingers interlaced to show that we're a community joined together. Our loving Heavenly Father, you created community. The first community was when you walked in the garden with Adam and Eve. You created a community among your people, Israel. You created a community in the early church as you brought people together, sharing everything. And as you designed us to live in community, we pray for our community here in Camborne and the surrounding area. We pray particularly for all who serve us in specific ways, for those working in the police, the health service, the shops and businesses, for our schools, our social services, for those who work in the parish council who will meet again this week. Loving Father, we pray that you'd strengthen them in all they do, Help us to value them. And as the body of Christ in this place, make us the eyes and ears and the hands and feet of Jesus as we support others in our community. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. And finally, if we just make our hands into a spire as a symbol of our church as we pray for our church here. Loving Father, thank you for calling us to be members of your body, the church here in Camborne. We pray for all those on holiday at the moment, for Matthew and Sarah as they enjoy the end of this week away, and for others known to us who are away in different parts of the country or further afield. Father, grant them relaxation and refreshment and safety. We pray for all those known to us who are in hospital or unwell at the moment remembering particularly Ted Pryor as he recovers from his operation and is continuing to be cared for in hospital. And we pray for all those in the church, Lord, who are planning for a new term, for our services, for children and young people's work, for home groups and all the many other activities that go on, for those in the deck chair project in Upper Camborne. Lord, watch over all of them in their planning as they seek to bring the story of Jesus to those around. And as requested, we pray specifically this morning for Joe and Doris Castles, for Andy and Hannah Clark, and for Gerald and Deb and Charlotte. Loving Father, thank you for these individuals and families. Watch over them today and in the coming week. May they know your presence and your love surrounding them keep them safe and guide them in all they do. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Father, thank you for the privilege of being part of your family in this place. Thank you that as a family, you have taught us the family prayer. And so we'll pray the Lord's Prayer together. 
our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. So, as I said, we're living in the big dot, dot, dot in the middle of the Bible. Um, but the Bible does give away the ending. Sorry about that, those who don't like spoilers. Um, girls, do you want to get the look? Could I, you bring the last book over? If I go down there, it's going to howl at me. Oh, can I have it? Thanks. Book 66, the book of Revelation. St. John, one of Jesus' disciples, was given a vision of the end of the world. And uh, I forgot to put it up, actually. Um, there's a graph someone did of the preachability of the book of Revelation. And it has, it's quite good, and then plummets and it zeros for about the whole of the book. And then right at the end, it kind of ticks back up again. Um, and this is from one of those last couple of chapters. And it says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. Shall we say this bit together? And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be, with, will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes, and there will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. For the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. And then he said, write this down. For these words are trustworthy and true. The book of Revelation, the reason the preachability of Revelation is so dreadful, um, if you come to it kind of cold, is that the message of Revelation is that things get really grim. And we know that things get grim because things get grim for us, don't they? But the message of Revelation is that the end of the story is that all things are made new. The work that began with the death and resurrection of Christ transforms creation back to the point where it was. And all creation is returned to the worship of God. And the brokenness that humanity brought to the world God, in cooperation with that humanity, restores. And so it's fitting that we return to our first song, All Creatures of Our God and King.